Welcome to Coach to Scale, how modern leaders build coaching cultures. I'm your host, Matt Benelli. Join me as we build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that effective coaching improves the performance of every team member. Our mission is to help leaders become better coaches. The Coach to Scale podcast is sponsored by Coachem, the world's first AI coaching execution platform that leverages evidence-based coaching to increase quota attainment. And with that, let's get started. Interviewing today's guest is a real treat for me. I think you're going to enjoy it too. He's one of the most thoughtful, balanced, and one of the funniest people that I know. He's got a ton of experience with industry titans such as IBM and Oracle, as well as niche technology providers like Jaeger and Bassware. Currently, he's retired, enjoying his family and the fruits of his labor. Blair Tolbert, welcome to Coach to Scale. Oh, Matt, so good to be here. I, I do take exception to... Uh that I'm balanced because I'm not. And I've been more of a tormentor than a mentor, but I take great pride in that. Thank you for the introduction. Well, it's your balance, the equal part tormentor and, and mentor. That's kind of where the balance part comes in. I know when I talk about being thoughtful, you are, and you have a point of view and, and a lot of experience and examples to back it up. And really that's what the coach the scale audience is looking for. They're looking for stories. They're looking for examples. They're looking to get better at doing what they do and navigating this crazy world of sales and, and sales leadership. So let, let, me, let me kick it off with a little bit of a softball question just to get the, the ball rolling here. Blair, what's one of the biggest myths you've consistently heard when it comes to coaching and leading people over the years? Oof, man, there's been so much fake news, <laughs> to use it, a current term. Um, you know, one I, I, I think um, I think that stuck with me and I've heard again and again and again is that you really got to beat the bejeebers out of, uh, out of a sales guy because of the laziest things in the, on the planet, because they'd rather sleep than work. And, and none of that, I remember when I, I first heard that, or that, and I'll call it an accusation because it was, it was an unfounded accusation about a particular individual, turned out that the manager just wasn't engaged. Right. And wasn't aware of, of all the good stuff that was happening uh, from that 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 reps efforts. Uh, so so to me, um, if you truly have uh, a, that truth, true myths that that reps are they need to be sort of babysat all the time, then you have a bad rap and you ought to get rid of them. Or, or, or a bad manager. Well, you know, a great, a great leader uh, from Oracle in our time, you know, John Nugent once, once said, if you had the choice between uh, a lousy rep or a lousy manager, you better, you better get rid of the lousy manager because that lousy manager affects a much broader spectrum of your organization than one bad rep. Yeah, and, and we see that a lot. I mean, I, I, I know that I do. I mean, this, this whole thing is, you know, you know my, my team, my people, they, they constantly need to be reminded on what they need to do. I let them know where they stand uh, like almost every hour of the day. Mm -hmm. And my job is to make sure my people do their job. Mm -hmm. uh, would you say that's a little bit like old, old school uh, yeah. thinking, like yeah, not helpful? It, it is, and I'll, and I'll tell you that th these words are coming from a guy that, that was once told that he was old school cool. Um, I'm still trying to understand what that meant, but I'll tell you that uh, I will, I, I think setting the baseline and, and, and implementing a set of metrics 
and a set of repeatable processes that inform a sales organization, all those organizations around your team um, in pre-sales and marketing and sales ops and finance and all those people that not just rely on you for success, but but have input and outputs from your from, from your team. Uh, I think they expect you to set the baseline, right? The reps expect to be informed on what your expectations are. Um, if you have to constantly, I don't know, babysit that thing, then you haven't set the processes up correctly or you're not engaged enough to let the people know that you're serious about it. And I think as a, a, a manager sort of matures in that, that role, uh, especially a first lane manager coming from a, a rep, you, you eventually have to find a way to master the softer side of leading results or teams um, and get the results uh, that you expect from highly motivated and consistently high-performing teams. Um, you know, there's a, I don't know if you know this about me, Matt, but I collect, I have done this for decades, I collect um, what I consider to be impactful or clarity-inducing uh, sayings. And, I, and every three months, they pop up on my calendar, and I oh, yeah, I remember that. And there's one from a guy named Andrew Lang. He's a Scottish poet, and it goes something like this. He uses statistics as a drunken man uses lampposts for support rather than illumination. And so I tell you that if you have a manager who knows everything about all the numbers but can tell you a thing about what's important to every team member on his team, then you have a, a manager that needs to figure out the next the next phase he's going to grow into. Yeah, too much of a reliance on statistics. So, Blair, when you when you look at that, right, and you talk about um, statistics and needing to know like all the the you know the important but sometimes rote parts of the business at the ex, you know the exclusion of getting to know people as people and and what makes them tick. How do those types of issues impact performance short-term, 10-year, longer-term? So uh, at one point in my career, the Peter Principle kicked in and I got promoted. And uh, I wasn't sure I was ready, right? Um, I I realized after a a couple uh, events that that said I, I, I needed to do something different, that I had to learn these new skills and I had to add a few metrics to my toolbox as a first line manager. And I, I realized, and I was coached very well, by the way, at Oracle, excuse me, at IBM, um, by a guy named John Bunting, uh, just a really good dude. Um, that, and he said, you, you need to move your metrics more towards a, a people orientation versus a, the deal metric stuff. And, and the deal metrics are table stakes. I mean, all those things that we, we go through every forecast call, that stuff, you got to do them. But if that's all you do, then you're, you're not doing enough. You, you need to know, um, uh, I, I, as a second line, I need to know where my sales manager was spending their time. Are, are they spending all their, their, their time with the less capable reps and basically going on sales calls so they can close the deal and be the super rep? What, what about the amount of time they're spending with their best, most successful reps? And what are they doing with those folks? Are they giving them the opportunity to share what they know and what they've learned and what drives success? And are you giving them the opportunity to lead? The aha moment when I realized not just that, that I now felt like I was a sales manager and a leader, 
but other people were giving me feedback that, that I was a good sales manager and a you know, good leader was when my top reps wanted to dominate my time and they wanted to take me on their sales calls because they, they knew that I'd find a way to differentiate and I'd find a way to add value. Um, and that, if, if there's a takeaway from, from this, um, it's, it's get to the point where you can look yourself in the mirror as a sales manager when you wake up in the morning and you say, I, I do add value and I, I have differentiated myself. And I'm not just a guy that goes to work every day and measures what the people did the day before. Mm. And you, I know a lot of, I know a lot of the people that were on your team and they're full of ego, full of skill, full of capability, but yet they wanted your time. They wanted to involve you. But a lot of a lot of leaders would say, "Oh, I, you know, my top performers, they don't need me. They got, you know, they just want to be left alone and to let the eagles fly." Mm-hmm. Where's the line between letting the eagles fly and and getting involved? I will tell you, uh, I, I've found that it's very self-serving. Um, I, I love building new teams. You know what I love even more? I love keeping those new teams being highly highly successful and performing, and I love to see. Um, as I was, I was honored enough throughout my, my 40 years, I did 40 years in the business, Matt, can you imagine? Yeah. Um, uh, it was 40 wonderful, great, fun years with the marvelous people. But, but I, I, the, the, one of the biggest giggles I got was, um, watching people that were in their mid twenties, late twenties, uh, when I met them and when they joined my team, uh, or they were on a team that was critical to my team's success like you, like Dave, like so many others. Um, and then you, you talk to them through time and you look back on it and you say, oh my God, your kid's in grade school. Oh my gosh, your kid's in high school. Oh my gosh, your daughter just graduated from college. Holy cow, your son's a, a Marine and a, a Lieutenant in the Corps, right? Um, that, having teams stay together with that consistency and that continuity isn't because you give them uh, those the, the best plum territories. It's because you give them consistent behavior and consistent accessibility and you do more than your fair share. And they, they, they sometimes to their discredit, you know, I, I say this with love, stick around too long because it, they, they like making money. They like working for you. Right. Um, and in any cases I had to kick them out of the nest, right? Because it's time for you to fly. And, and as a retired guy, um, I turned 67 in September. Can you imagine that? Um, I, I, I look at, at, at LinkedIn today and I see so many people I, I, I knew from when they were just kids, uh, like you, uh, successful entrepreneurs, uh, group senior vice presidents at big companies like Oracle. I mean, and, and I had an impact, right? And it's, it's a giggle to, to look back at that. I got to tell you a funny story. So a part of my career that you didn't tell anybody about was when I left um, Oracle, I left and I, I, I co-founded a, a consulting business. And it was probably the first week. We still didn't have an office. Um, I was working out of my home office and and I, I was cold calling. I hadn't cold called in 25 years. I don't know, a long time. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I'm on my phone and Talking to like Blair Talbert, blah, 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 my core solution. Right? It hung up on me. 
and I, I'm holding the phone like this, and I'm looking at it. Just then, my wife, Sharon, knows we've married 43 years at this point. Back then, maybe 30 years. She walks into the room. She goes, she sees me like this. She goes, what's wrong with you? I said, I was just doing a cold call. This dude hung up on me. She goes, huh, yeah. I guess he doesn't know who you used to be. <laughs> Look, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, and to, and to level set for people out there, you're... Uh, many years into sales leadership, IBM, Oracle, like big teams, yeah. successful teams, and all in now you're an entrepreneur. You start a consulting company. You're you're a, you know like like every everyone's a soldier. Everyone's a prospector. That's right. Um, and one of the first calls they hung up on you, right? Yeah. I, I get that. I know you. I, when. When, when I left, when I left, or we started our consulting company, I remember making my uh, one of my first prospecting calls. It was the first, you know, week, and and the the CRO said, um, I said, you know, are you struggling. You know, a lot of people I talk to that do what you do are struggling because you know they have not enough pipeline, or the pipeline they have is not moving forward through the process as fast as they want. I'm not sure if either of those are issues for you. He said, what kind of what kind of question is that? <laughs> I'm like, apparently not a good one. But anyway, I appreciate you you bringing that up because, you know, that's all about walking the walk, yeah. right? Yeah. Talking the talk. Like you're, you, As you built that business um, or built any team, they need to know that you're not just, you know, saying, hey, we got to dig, grab, you know, grab your shovels, go. But as a leader, sometimes you got to get in and, and, and grab the shovel and start digging also, right? So so a lot of people may not know that you you served in the U.S., uh, Marine Corps, and then I served in the in the Navy. And what they don't know is that I spent four years. As my dad used to call me, either a, 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 a floating taxi for the Marine Corps or a seagoing bellhop because it was my job to put their bags in the in the sea bag locker when they came on the ship. Whatever I said, one of the, here's the, the reason I bring that up. Uh, it's it's what, one of the things we learned was your platoon leader, your squad leader, your company commander didn't just give orders. Right. They were the ones who led by example, who modeled the behavior, who that when they did all those things right and became inspirational, had people for no good reason at all, except that that they they, they loved their country and they loved their families and they wanted to protect them, would go do the most crazy things. Right. That that normal people just would never dream of doing. And so that that grab a shovel, start digging. That's that kind of thing is. Uh, is I think another um, a characteristic, I guess you'd call that, of a good leader. Yeah. Well, so it's it's think about it as like the building blocks of let's say a coaching culture yeah. or you know the culture that you want for your organization. And so maybe a question is, what is the role of senior leadership in creating that type of culture? Yeah, and I I, I think just go back to the model, the behavior. If your team believes that you're in it to win it, and that you, you you will give as much or more than they will of yourself to their deal, to their success, to the team, to the company, right? Then I, I think that's that's where you pass from, he's buttoned down, she's buttoned down leader, gets the metrics, all the numbers are, are, are where they belong, the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted to, holy cow, that person's a great leader, right? Yeah. So. And, you know, you talked about like earning the trust and, you know, rolling up the sleeves and, and digging. And I remember uh, you brought up my core. I remember when you and Kent uh, started my core, you gave me a, a, 
a, a coin. And if I remember correctly, it said it on there, you know, uh, deeds, not words. Yeah, it did. And, you know, that's a phrase that you uttered and you know, has been clo- important to you for, for many, many years. What's the origin of deeds, not words? And uh, why is that important? I, I, my dad was a command sergeant major in the Army. Uh, he was married to my mother for uh, 52 years. Um, she basically raised six kids um, because he traveled a lot. But, but, but one of the things he imbued on us, and here's what exactly what he said. Uh, we're not rich. Uh, what we're going to give you when we pass on as an inheritance is our good name. And my advice to you is that always do what you say you're going to do. Right. And so the deeds, not words thing. And sometimes he'd use that um, as opposed to just say what you're going to do. But there were other ones, too, that they're the colorful that you, you can't really say uh, in front of civilians um, that that would come out every once in a while. Um, the other, there was one also where, uh, <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go, right? You felt like you're in boot camp, but, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was him who, 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 who set the groundwork and then reinforced that forever in everything we did. And, you know, uh, I think maybe that's, that's, I, I found that I became, um, a much better manager when I had kids after I had kids. Um, and I, I hadn't thought about this before a lot, but, but I became more aware of other people's feelings. Um, I became better at listening. Um, I became better at decision-making. I became better at, um, at looking confident when I wasn't, right? I mean, all those things that you, that a two-year-old can tell because they can see right through you, right? Um, and then when they're 13, they, they give you you know, a different kind of x-ray vision, but, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting thought process. Well, that, that, that everybody has feelings and, you know, wor- words matter and like the whole thing, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And sometimes, uh, uh, from a leadership and a coaching perspective, we don't put in as much effort into how we say it. And it comes mm-hmm. off, uh, in in a in a manner that that wasn't intended, mm-hmm. it comes off like you know, hey, hey uh, you, you know, are you gonna are you gonna pick up the phone and, and and call someone? Which the other person hears that, oh, do you think I'm lazy? <laughs> you know, it's and and that that's not exactly what was what was meant. So that self awareness that you described that comes from different experiences are are super super important. Um, you talk about. You've talked about a, a couple of things that have always been important. Um, one was accessibility, and the other was humor. Let's put humor aside for a second. Yeah. Um, we've had a couple of failed attempts so far, um, but let's uh, let's talk about accessibility. What what do you mean by accessibility? Why is that important from a, a leadership perspective? Let me ask a question. Did you ever work for a manager that said, "Hey, my door is always open"? <laughs> yeah, all of us. All of us. Yeah, and the only time it was open was when he wasn't there. That's right. My first manager at IBM said those words to me, and it's what I found. I couldn't explain that feeling that I had. Um, it was within like hours of joining IBM after I got it. It was Navy, then Penn State, then IBM, and and, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting out in the, in the bullpen. I'm going, okay, so what does that mean, right? And it was a. I, I figured out probably 10 years later, that that approach, my door is always open, is an approach that rarely informs a team about when they should engage with their manager 
outside of scheduled meetings, right? I, I purposely have tried to, to model a, a less passive approach. And you know this because you're from the Northeast and I'm from the Northeast, that when you engage on something, you, you were raised to just get to the point, right? And that can be scary for people not from the Northeast, right? And so one of the best things that ever happened to me and one of the things that started me down that journey of being a better leader was realizing not only that I had two ears and one mouth, um, but when I, when I just meet expectations of the people I'm talking to and I take some time to get to know them, whether it's a new rep, a prospect, a customer, the outcomes always improve for me. They always did. And I got to tell you, this has happened many, many times to me. At the end of a meeting with a prospect or a customer, my first meeting, I've been told, you know what? You're not the self-centered, last to listen, first to talk moron that I expected, right? It's and it, and that was a win. That was a win for me personally. It was a win for the team that took me yeah. on that call. It was a win for the company, right? Because now they have a bona fide representative that's done good things, right? And so that's that. I think, you know, that accessibility thing, whether it's internal, whether it's external, turns out after forty-three and a half years of marriage. At that personal level, being accessible, right, and being able to listen more than you talk, um, is probably um, is probably the best definition of accessibility I can give you. So, how important is that, right? Because look, it, it's we're a much more remote world post COVID. Um, you know, ma- management, leadership, coaching was difficult before. It's more difficult now. We have some economic headwinds that we're dealing with, right? It's it's. It was never easy, but it's more. It's it's even more difficult today. The challenges are are there. The mountain is steeper. Yeah. Um, how, is it the manager's role? Is it a leader's role to understand what's going on with somebody outside of work? And if so, why? So, um, I, I, whether it's my life or my personal life or professional life, I've always. Uh, sought out the blind spots, the the things that I couldn't see that could impact what I was trying to accomplish, whether it was at home or at work, whether it was with a customer or prospect, a new rep, a, a rep that was underperforming. Always looking for the blind spots because the, the 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 normal things that everybody tells you to look for are easy to see. All you can do is write them down, take your time, right? Um, I I think a, a, when when you listen more. Um, you end up, um, whether it's during the COVID pandemic or whether it's post-COVID or whatever it is, um, I, I found, maybe it was being married to 43 years, maybe it was Sharon who said that I don't have to solve everything every time someone expresses a concern or needs an emotional lift, right? She, maybe it's, maybe, maybe what I came to was that, that most time people just want to listen. And when you listen, then good things happen. And, and it, these, these discussions I'd have with people, sometimes with prospects and sometimes with customers, I did a, they were like, you know, someone said to me once, thanks for the therapy session. And I coined the term Blairapy. So these are Blairapy sessions, right? Blairapy. I was going to ask you about that. Blairapy right? sessions. Um, it's just that I found that, you know, when you have a sales manager, anybody in the team actually, but with a high emotional uh, IQ, an EQ, they spend a lot of time with their directs and their, and they spend a lot of time with the extended team, as we talked about before, the pre-sales team, the marketing team, the sales ops team, 
the finance team and just listening and just checking in and having a five-minute conversation, um, it ends up being time well spent. And and I, I will tell you, I, I think that at the end of the day, when you when you listen more and you solve less, um, if you do all the other things that you have to do to be successful, like like hire well, like engaging in a meaningful way with your with your stakeholders, if you if you find a way to be sincere um, and people believe that you want to help them achieve their goals, um, and if you commit to folks, here's another takeaway: commit to folks that my goal and the thing I'm going to need your help on is that I'm going to leave this, whatever this is, whatever I just started or inherited, I'm going to leave this better than I found it all the time. Every time I'm going to leave things better than I found them. Then you're going to have, I think, not just a great career, but you're going to have, you look back on, on folks like you and Dave and so many others, Gino and Mike and Ken, and the list goes on and on. There's, there's 70 people that I could sit here and name where I look back and I go, oh, that was a lot of fun, right? And a lot of people made money, right? And if I was to do something again today and get tired of retirement, here's the, the, the 12 that I picked today and ask, could you come join me? Because I want to go do something new and here's what it is. At least half of them would, would not say, what are you, wacko? Right? At least half of them would say, yeah, right? So... Yeah, well, people want meaning. It, you know, it, it's about building something bigger than yourself, leaving it. I, we are going to leave it better than when you found it. And people knew that was your philosophy. Yeah. And they would rally behind that and, and to help you do that because you weren't some stick just focusing on managing the, the numbers and telling people what they already knew. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's my sense. And the whole concept of the Blairpy session and listening is, Sometimes you learn a lot when you just, you know, uh, pick up the phone, hop on a Zoom, go for a walk and say, hey, how's it going? Yeah. And you know, you know yeah. what else? When, you, when, people believe, when people believe you're not just listening because you want to hear something you can use against them, when they truly believe that, you know what, this is, a, this is no penalty zone, penalty free. You can tell me anything you want. And if you tell me it's private, it's private, right? And I'm not going to use it against you. If I do... You call me out on it, right? And we'll make that go away. All right. But when you get the reputation of, you can go talk to Blair, right? People come and they say the weirdest stuff, right? It was, it was a show on TV. Kids say the darndest thing, right? It's uh, people share, right? And you get the reputation and people from, uh, out from different parts of the company yeah. uh, start to come seek your counsel. I, I, uh, I get it. I've seen it. Um, Another thing that I know is it's important to you. I don't think it, my guess is it didn't start off as intentional, but the role and the importance of, of humor, and especially with uh, the stress and the difficulty of, of, the, of the different roles, how important is it to lighten, lighten the mood a little bit? You know, there are people that are built, I guess, emotionally, to be able to handle the stress of what we did, what I did, what you do, sales, it's hard. It really is, right? It really is hard. Um, but I got to a point in my career where I decided it's only hard if I let it be hard, right? And I'm going to, I'm naturally a funny guy. I mean, I was a kid 
in grade school and high school that was sent to the principal's office all the time because I just couldn't shut the hell up, right? Because the teachers like jumbled up a sentence like, oh, huh, what do we do? Right. Whack, gone, right? I got paddled in 12th grade, right? And that's how bad it was, right? So uh, I, I had this, I'm fortunate, I had this innate relief valve. And I do, I do believe humor is a relief valve. And it's a relief valve not just for me, uh, but it's a relief valve for those around me. Um, I, I, I had to, I will tell you, I, it, there, there came a point in my career where someone gave me the feedback that they said, we never really know when you're serious or when you're kidding. And so I had to become more, more clear about, about the, when I was joking around, when I was yeah. being honest, right? Because now you're informing the team and the person and the people, right, uh, that, that it's, it's okay, I'm laughing, you can laugh. This isn't nervous laughter. This is, I'm trying to, I'm trying to lighten the moment, right? Because right. this is tough stuff. Um, I also found that humor... But Blair, Blair, if I can, that, that what you just said, people said they, they never know if you're serious or you're kidding. That's like you, you've said, that's not good. No. Um, because... You you want it to be the opposite of that, like hey, Blair's got you know he's a light lighthearted guy, you know he's funny, but when it's serious, oh. you know it's serious. You want it to be the opposite of that. Would that be fair? Yeah, I, I I'm gonna, I hope she doesn't get mad at me, but there's a story out there that Kelly Valenta, one of my favorite people on the planet, I think she currently works at Oracle for Gino. Um, when she was on my another great person, another, oh, you need to get those two on a podcast. Um, I was, I was, uh, Kelly and I worked together. She was on my team. I forget when it was, but I, I, there was a story of a, a new person. Uh, we had just had a sales meeting and they walked out of the room and they caught Kelly at the coffee bar and said, so tell me about Blair. What's he like? And Kelly said, oh my gosh, she is the nicest, kindest person on the planet until you lie to him. And then he's going to reach in your chest and he's going to, pull out your heart and he's going to make you look at it beating and you're going to go, thank you. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, wow. I'm not, I'm not that bad. But, but the point was it's um, when I joined the Oracle from IBM, boy, IBM was a kinder, gentler kind of place. It really was. It was genteel, right? Oracle, not so much. Um, right. I, I had to find a way to do what I, what I did in the way at Navy. I had to, I'm not the biggest guy, so I had to puff myself up like a peacock, right? So that nobody would mess with me, right? And at Oracle, you had in the early days, you had to do similar things because guys would fly from California to, to poach, right? Um, but once you got the reputation as he's a really nice guy until he's not, then everything was fine, right? It was it was interesting. <laughs> um, but not everybody is funny. No. Um, so where's the, what's a takeaway? Because, you know, someone might, like someone like yourself might use humor to lighten the mood and, and that's, a, that's effective for you, but someone else could like try to be that, but that's not them. And, you know, that goes over, uh, you know, not so great. Uh, but what, what, what's a takeaway there? What, what can someone who's not inclined to use humor, what can they do to get, let's say, whatever, outside their comfort zone? I, I had a young fellow work for me one time um, <clears throat> that that was smart as a whip, um, but really didn't uh, have the, that funny bone. Um, 
and tried many times. And it just wasn't working. And the team was like walking up to me and going, I, it, you know, he's trying to be you and he's not you. Right. And so I sat him down. I said, listen, at the end of the day, humor's really meant to let people let leave their, sort of put their guard down, leave their guard down, to get them to perceive that you're, there's a big piece of you that's just a regular person that really is caring and, and wants to be in this for the long run. And if humor's not your thing, then let's find something else, right? And I worked with him on, on improving his emotional IQ. And it wasn't I taught him to cry. It was I taught him to be aware of his words, what you mentioned earlier. Because words can sting, right? And words left undefined um, are then open to a different interpretation than what was intended. And so one of the things I helped him with was helping him create a process so that when he said something, uh, I was asked for, okay, can you tell me what you heard, right? So that we both are sure, one, that I said it the way I, I said it and intended it to be said, and that you heard what I intended you to hear, Yeah. right? And f believe it or not, I learned that when my, son became a teenager, right? Because it's easy to, to be the hammer. And they still to this day, they said, dad traveled, mom was in charge, dad came home, he was the hammer. I, I, like, I don't remember being the hammer, but apparently right. I was, right? And then when you get that feedback, you go, I don't want to be the hammer. I'm the nice guy. I'm the fun dad, right? <laughs> so apparently not, right? right? Yeah. So. Well, it, it, I, I love, that's a great coaching you know, coaching technique. It's great. It's important part of the coaching conversation. So like, tell me what you heard or observed in that situation. And, you know, I remember something that happened where um, a manager in my organization sent out after a tough, tough quarter, sent out an email to the team where she said, this is never going to happen again. I work too damn hard. You know, from now on, you're going to do X, Y, and Z, you know, disappointed me, you made us look bad. And, and you know, and I, you know, well, how's the, the, deal? the director, do we need, do we need a direct, Blair B session? Yeah. Do we need a Blair? And, 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 yeah. And she copied her director and the director comes to me. He's like, well, what do I do with this? And, <laughs> and I said, you know, I said, we're, I was getting on a plane and I said, uh, you, you should ask, ask her like, Okay, day later after, you know, tough quarter. Because she's all in. Emotionally, she was all in. She cared. I said, ask her what she thinks about what she sent. Because she's either going to say, oh, I was stressed out. I was upset. I was embarrassed. A couple glasses of wine. Yeah. It was late at night. I sent this thing out. I should have slept on it. Yeah. Okay, that happens. Or she's going to say, read it. Oh yeah, that was my best work. You know what? I forgot to tell them that they were stupid. You know, like, <laughs> and yeah. ugly. Yeah, I forgot to add this. Right. So one way or the other, but you're gonna know where you need to spend time coaching on this because yeah. how you coach those two scenarios is very different. Yeah. And so I land. I landed the plane. I, I I checked my voicemail, and it was the director, and he's like, "Yeah, I talked to her. She thought it was her best work." Oh, right. Much tougher coaching, by the way. Right. Uh -huh. Like that's a tougher situation to coach than, yeah. you know, because there's, you got to coach EQ and self-awareness and, and all that stuff. Um, so you, but, you, remember, yeah, no, I, you, you remember Joe, right? There's another shout out for Joe D. Um, the 24 hour rule, 
right? Awesome. Yeah. Just write it down. Don't send it. And most of the time, just delete it, right? Yep. 100%. Um, yeah, you know, again, we we're talking about some, some great uh, people and some, some great leaders here. Uh, Joe D. Um, Blair, as we kind of kind of move toward the close here, you mentioned 40 years, four decades yeah. of working in, in this business. The question's kind of cliche. I don't want it to be. You've learned a lot along the way. What is one of those leadership or coaching lessons you learned later in your career that you really wish you learned earlier and you know kind of that you want to impart that wisdom onto some of the folks that are just getting into the the management and coaching business so um one that comes to mind is uh and i i've, I've, I've we talked a lot in this 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 hour about you take pride in teams you built and and consistent high performance and longevity mattered. I mean, all those things. There's another side to that where you gotta, you have to protect the people that are worth investing in, uh, are worth investing in because they invest in themselves. There's gonna be those that just don't deserve to be on your team. And I had a hard time with that early in my career because it's, I mean, I've, yeah, I've had those conversations. I've gotten okay at them because I've gotten better at understanding what the words mean when I have to talk to someone about about not being on my team. Um, but there was a fella, Ron Bunting, who, who walked up to me one day after I finished a conversation with a rep, um, and he goes, "Why is that guy in your team?" I said, "What?" He said, why is that guy on your team? And the only thing I could think of to say was, because he's lucky. <laughs> he goes, eh, looks good. And he walks away. But the, the whole point was, from that point on, um, I started looking at, do the people that are on my team deserve to be there? Because you're building a brand as a team, and that brand that you build isn't your brand. It's the team's brand. And so when the team sees someone that they don't think should be on the team, that's harming the team's brand, you got one job. You got to fix it, right? Yeah. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. We all see Every it, right? Yeah. yeah, and sometimes it's the, the leader of the team that's the last to know. And for a whole bunch of reasons, you, you think, like, hey, did I fail this person? Did I invest in them? Did I do everything that I could do? Is this my fault or is it their fault? Um, and, and you take on that responsibility yourself. But the reality is, what are they doing to earn, earn your time? I had a similar experience where uh, Rudy Corsi yeah. gave me the, why is that yeah. person on your team? And um, I said, you know, we're working through some issues and blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay. Like a quarter or two later, he's like, what's going on? That person's still on your team, still at the bottom. You're still making excuses. And I, you know, word vomited something stupid. And he said, he said, Matt, you know, you're a really nice guy. I'm sure your team thinks you're a nice guy. You're a great person. That doesn't mean you're a great leader. Yeah. And he's like, if you have a problem on your team and you're uh, not addressing it, that's your fault. That's not their fault. 
And, and Rudy, uh, Rudy was one of those guys. He was he was the consummate nice guy until he wasn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, he was a yeah. really nice guy, but he was a better leader than he was a nice guy because he he yeah. the reason he was he was one of Keith Block's conciliaries, right? I mean, he was he was a, a good a good read on on who should be on this team. That's a great thing. He, do, he, you, do you deserve to be he, on my team? Right. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know I you know, a couple levels removed from Rudy saw the not nice guy some, you know, more often than, you know, the, the nice guy. And so you, you form an opinion and, um, I got to work with him directly right before he, he passed yeah. and saw a totally different side and one that I truly, truly respected. And it, it just taught me, you know, sometimes you can't judge a book by its cover. You got to get, take the time to, to, to know somebody. Um, Blair, people like yourself who talk about being a leader and talk about coaching and, and developing people and helping people usually have that behavior modeled for them. Mm-hmm. Tell me about a time you were the benefit benefactor, the recipient of really good coaching, whether you liked it or not. Uh, so I'm going to say, uh, this has to be heard the way I mean. I mean to say it. Go ugly early. Um, I heard those three words. Um, I'm going to say I was probably 25 when I heard them, um, and it was all about a deal that, believe it or not, was a three million dollar modem sale. <laughs> modems at IBM were this big, if you know what a modem is, and they cost $15,000 a piece. And this is a huge utility. I was doing a sale. I didn't get the deal, and I should have. And um, my manager sat down with me and went through all this stuff, and he'd been fairly well engaged in the deal, but not at the end of it all like he should have been, perhaps. So a lot of, a lot of lessons learned on this one. Um, but, you know, the, one of the things he said, you know, here's the problem. He says, you never asked all those questions that we, we now know are blind spots. And shame on me, Blair, I assumed some things, right? I assumed some things. And we're not going to let that happen again, right? And he's talking about all those blind spots. I never asked the question, right, Is it, who else are you talking to? I mean, what, why would you pick us? In your words, tell me, right, all the things that you know are being said by that decision maker to the people they're presenting to. If you don't have the answers to those things, this is my takeaway, right? Then you probably don't got a deal, right? Because they don't care enough to tell you why they're picking you, right? Um, the other one was, uh, there's two, I'm a smart guy. So so with that, like the, the go ugly early is probe for the bad news, yeah. probe for the no, yeah. diffuse the time bombs, uh, or else they're going to blow up when you when you don't want them to. Get the bad news early because then you can you can try to address it or, you know, cut bait, right? Save yourself a whole bunch of time. So I, I, I then turned that into uh, get to know K-N-O-W or get to know N-O. See, uh, I, I should have marked I've it. Stole, I've stolen that. Oh, damn. Okay. So I've said that before? I thought that was, that was re- oh, no. Okay. I stole it from somebody. That was me. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what the rule of three? The rule of three is the first time you you borrow something from somebody, like you take their saying, you give them specific credit. 
hey, I, you know, Blair Tolbard once said the second time it's like, hey, someone I've worked with in the past, you know, always said this. But the third time it's yours. You own it's it. That's right. Those, those, I have so many Blairisms that my wife goes, that's not an original thought, Blair. I go, uh, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I, on that topic, so um, as we close up, what, what's a funny story from the old days? You know, well, funny story that's happened that yeah, seemed like normal at the time. But when you look back on it, you can't believe it actually happened, uh, you know, in the workplace. Okay, you're, you're going to, this is not anything to do with selling. Well, maybe it does. So I was, that, that utility that I was trying to do that $3 million modem deal with, it was General Public Utilities, they own Three Mile Island. And I was given a presentation to the senior, like 500 people in Reading, Pennsylvania and their IT team. And I was giving a, a presentation to the, uh, the CIO, the, MAS, well, the whole executive IT team. And you know, Three Mile Island, the history there is that they had the meltdown, right? Well, yeah. I said something like, hey, uh, just so you know, I visited Three Mile Island to get some information for this presentation, and I think I'm still suffering the fallout. And it went over, what? It was horrible. It was just crickets. Great. Fart in church. It was worse than that. Um, yeah. Then I... I happened to take some of the same members of the team from their office was in Reading, Pennsylvania, down to Philly to our technology center or something on something else. Because they used to buy $25 million in mainframes from us every year, right? And I stopped at a Chinese place. There were 15 of us around this big, long table. And I'm in the middle. I'm looking down at folks, and I'm talking. I grabbed the soy sauce. Now, you know the soy sauce bottles? They have an open, like two sides are open. Yeah. Yeah, I, I grab it and I'm, I'm shaking the bottle and I'm talking to somebody and I look, I hear, hey, hey, no! And I, the soy sauce is shooting at the, the bottle. I got like five people, including myself, with soy sauce over their pretty shirts. So. Yeah, you know, when I ask that question, usually people like implicate somebody else. No. They, they say something that someone else did that was stupid or crazy. No. You found two examples that, you know, kind of, you know, implicated you. And that's the type of guy you are. So, um, Blair, listen, uh, any advice for those leaders that are new in their role, what, regardless of level, new in their role or just getting started in their first management position, any, any advice you want to share with them that's before we leave? Be true to yourself. Um, be honest. Listen more than you talk. Uh, don't try to solve every problem. Now, wait, there's a golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? all those things. But they all revolve around the brand you're building, right? And be cognizant of, will my actions today have a positive or negative impact on the brand I'm building for me and my team? And if there's something that, and this will happen, um, if there's something that a customer or a rep is asking me to do, a side letter or whatever it is, um, Think about it and how you'd feel about doing it in the cold light of day. So all the headlights and spotlights are on what you just did. You stand up proud or do you look for the shadows? So, yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah. Um, and we can leave it right there. So Blair learned learned a ton today. Um, I'm sure everyone else did as well. We talked about using humor as a as a relief valve. Uh, we talked about uh, going ugly early. Uh, we talked about you know listening and and just you know being accessible to to others. So. Um, really great and uh, always a great walk down memory lane. Thanks for sharing all of this with us. And uh, it was really great to have this conversation with you today. Thank great, you. great seeing you again, buddy. Take care. Hi to the family. All right. Um, and for everyone out there, if you made it this far, thank you. Um, please go on social media, wherever you consume your podcast. Let us know what you liked. Hit the like button. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. Tell us what you'd like to see more of. Uh, we're here to bring better content to you, actionable ideas. And uh, we take that responsibility very seriously. So um, thanks for listening. Until next time, coach them if you want to keep them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Coach to Scale, How Modern Leaders Build Coaching Cultures. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at coachem.io. That's C-O-A-C-H-E-M dot I-O. And follow us on Twitter at Coachem Now. See you all next week. Thanks for joining. And remember, coach them if you want to keep them.